0: Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. We have the honor of introducing you Chef Dominic Paperno, who is also the owner of Hearthside. So, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so, I actually did a little bit of research on you because I always try to, but um you have your your pedigree in the culinary field is kind of up there like you've actually studied not just in the us but you've also studied in um a, in other countries uh, yep. for your culinary career but tell our listeners like what like what who inspired you like in your life growing up and what led you to owning Hearthside? side
1: yeah um so i was i'm a first born uh, generation american uh, my father's from italy my mom's from germany Um, so growing up in a household with, you know, my dad's mom and my mom's mom kind of living with us back and forth, um, I kind of, you know, grew accustomed to home cooked meals and, um, using fresh produce and never like stocking our fridge, like so full, like more going to the markets all the time. Um, especially my dad's mom, like she kind of would just go get stuff as she needed it. Um, it's kind of how we grew up, you know, Sundays were like the big Italian dinner, Fridays were always German nights with my mom's mom making like goulash and you know beef stroganoff and uh, schnitzel and all that kind of stuff and so I you know my brother and my sister and I we grew up you know eating really good food we weren't really the family that went out to dinner all the time you know we kind of ate home-cooked meals and um, it just kind of was ingrained into me that you know cooking is a really great way of you know, surrounding the table with family and friends and a good way for conversation and, you know, catching up on the day. We would always have dinner together. And um, I fell in love with the idea of feeding people, watching my grandmothers cook and my dad cooking with them and my mom cooking with them. And as kids, we were part of it, too. I mean, we weren't just sitting there watching TV. You know, they gave us chores to do, like peel the onion, peel the garlic, you know, and all these kind of things. So, um, you know, we were engulfed in the food since at a young age. I took more to it than my brother and sister. Um, but, you know, I kind of always had this like underlining love for cooking, um, even though I didn't know till later on in life, that's what I wanted to do with my career. Um, but even throughout college and high school, I found myself cooking for friends and, you know, helping my dad in the kitchen all the time.
0: Yeah and i mean cooking just food in general kind of brings everybody together it's also yeah. a way to yeah in a way to express love um but it's nice that you were brought up in a situation where you know it wasn't your typical atypical american like household where we purchase too much food and then a lot of it goes to waste which yeah. i know was a concern of yours and part of the decision making process um is food waste in in the restaurant business too so um uh, <laughs> Yeah, so how did that affect you um as far as business sense especially during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, no, um you know, it really started, you know, right after the pandemic and we started reopening and getting back to it, you know, with the food costs just going up and up and up and up. Um, you know, as a restaurant, you know, you're starting to purchase and then you're seeing like, you know, the end of the week what you're throwing away and what you're trying to save and what you're trying to preserve and you can pickle, you can only pickle so many things and you can only preserve so many things. And we try to cross utilize for like staff meals and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're at the mercy of the guest and what they want to order. Yeah. Um, and, and how it, it, you know, you're playing chess all the time with what to order for protein wise. And how much do I need of this dish before you run out of it? And, um, it got to the point where it was just like, you know we're throwing away you know over a $1000 worth of food at, at, at any given time and it's just like it it didn't make sense anymore um you know uh, with training in italy and you know with the, the amount of compost programs that they do in europe and you know the restaurant i worked at in uh, chianti we didn't waste anything everything went to the farm or you know you know their rules about feeding you know people outside of the restaurant are a lot you know less there than they are here you know we would drop off foods to, you know, shelters and stuff like that. And it wouldn't be really much of a question, you know, we we yeah. were helping feed people um, where, you know, the, the laws are a little bit different here where, you know, you can't just like drop off a tray of ZD somewhere. And, you know, so, um, you know, and, and that was engraved in me, like the slow food movement in Europe, you know, in Italy, especially, you know, all that like focus on, you know, local great ingredients, no waste, all those kind of stuff has always been in the back of my mind. But, you know, once you get going in a restaurant, it's hard to really implement that that program into like an already established restaurant. So that being my restaurant after COVID. I kind of started really thinking about it like, you know, this the waste is starting to build up. The, you know, it's it, it doesn't seem it wasn't sitting right with me with the amount of waste that we were producing. Mm-hmm. So we decided to make a change, Um, you know, the change wasn't based strictly on waste, that had a a, a small part of it. Um, The work-life balance for myself, the work-life balance for my staff, um, you know, trying to make a change in an industry that is um, grueling at times um, where, you know, we have the luxury of getting paid and doing what we consider a hobby for most of us, something that we absolutely love, which is cooking. Yeah. um but sometimes the nature of a restaurant can be frustrating it can be tiring um and I I wanted to take a step back as a restaurant and I wanted all of us to find our passion again I wanted us to love cooking again um I didn't want to be at the mercy of the guest anymore um for so many years I've only cared about what the guests thought and what the guests felt and what the guests did um And for the first time I looked in the mirror and I selfishly said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to think about my employees first. I'm going to think about myself first. I'm going to think about my family first. Um, And working 90 to a hundred hour work weeks, working on our days off, working from nine o'clock in the morning to one o'clock in the morning, that is not sustainable. Um, And it's not fair to my staff to ask them to do that. You know, most times, you know, us restaurant people are supposed to work on holidays we're supposed to work on our birthdays we're supposed to work long hours so people can celebrate their birthdays and their holidays um and i just started thinking about us as a staff and as a family here at Harside. that you know we deserve Uh to be off on sundays too we deserve to celebrate holidays with our families we get you know we deserve to you know, have a better lifestyle where we can work 40 to 50 hours a week, you know, we can get paid well, um, we can do what we love. And um, that was the, uh, you know, that was the, the the basis of, you know, switching to the prefix. It never, uh, we didn't think about financially at all. At first, you know, we had to sit down with the accountant and figure out, is this something we could pull off? Is this something we could do? Um, but I knew as a leader and as the, you know, the owner of the business that, um, I really, really need to start thinking about, you know, the, the work-life balance of my staff, um, and the mental health of my staff. Um, because, you know, working 80, 90 hours, eventually you're going to say, this is not what I want to do anymore.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it causes burnout obviously. And and that's something that you see across the board in all restaurants. So I think it's, appropriate because all of the guests for today, you know, for this episode have kind of focused on work-life balance. So, you know, it, it's more meaningful. And I feel like there's a trend, you know, in the restaurant business of like, Hey, like we need a life too. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that needed to be broached and needs to have a light shine shown on it because people who just attend your visitors, your guests um, to the restaurant, don't don't always understand or comprehend the the mountain of work that goes on behind scenes in order to create that delicious cuisine that you're placing in front of them and not for nothing because it's not that you don't want to think of I don't think that you you know you're eliminating their your visitors or your guests um palates and and their ability to enjoy what they're eating because you are presenting something that not only is beautiful on a plate but also you know for your presentation but also you know delicious because i you know you can see it just even from the photos
1: yeah i mean there's just so much that goes into you know one of our signature dishes is like our our wagyu beef carpaccio and like The amount of prep that goes in, like, for the guests, they just order it. And then in four minutes, it's on their table. But they don't realize that that it's like a three-day process for us to make that dish. You know, from from rubbing down to searing to freezing and slicing and making crispy shallots and, you know, making Thai basil aioli where we got to make this, like, really delicious Thai oil first. And then we could, you know, it's like, and then the hours and the manpower that, that that all goes into... And then you don't order it, and then we have to throw it away. So it was just like, I I remember just like talking to our GM, Ashley, and my sous chef, Tom, and I was just like, guys, like, selfishly, I think it's time for us to make a change. I was just like, Tom, you've been with me since almost day one. We were open September 17th. You started mid-October. You've been with me for five years. You rode the COVID, the pandemic wave. You've been here when we've been fully staffed. You've been here when we're short-staffed. But I can't ask anything else of you. You're already working 85 hours a week. We just lost another line cook. Me and you are working on our days off. Now you have to work a station and come in in the morning and prep all day and make breads. And then after service, me and you need to do stuff. And we're here till 1.30 in the morning. And I was like, I haven't seen my daughter this week. So I was just like, it got to the point where it was just like something that I loved more than outside of my family and my friends, cooking is like my my love and my passion. There was weeks where I just, I had resentment at my own restaurant. Like I just didn't want to go to work because I was exhausted, I was frustrated. And the minute my hobby became a job, I knew I had to make a change. And I could see it in my line cook's faces and my chef's faces that they were physically exhausted. Like, sorry, sorry, (laughs) They, they were just exhausted. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, yeah, sorry. Um, no,
0: no, it's all right. Um, it it just I wanted to also you know get into a little bit because we only have uh three ish minutes left. Yeah. Uh, um, you know because be- you do have a tasting menu, so people yep. will be able to enjoy like the labor of your love. Um, in, in in that they can you know make a reservation, and it's I believe you your reservations are for two people um so yes maybe the price point might make people shy away but what you offer you know is is delicious yeah. so what what is your current menu like what's something on yeah. your
1: current menu so the current menu is actually we're bringing back all of our classics all the dishes that made us famous like so we've been getting emails when's the ceviche back when's the carpaccio back when's the prawns back well it's back this week so We've decided that every, you know, every four or five tasty menus, which we do in a two week period, um, they're always somewhat themed. Um, you know, we've done Tuscan Steakhouse for two weeks. We've done Welcome to the Jersey Shore for two weeks. Um, we did like an ode to Costa Rica where I lived for a while. Um, and now we're like, this is the classics. So um, you can come in and get our signature hamachi ceviche, our wagyu beef carpaccio, our signature orchetti pasta. Um so all of that's on it. And I, I I've always said I understand that we've now become a um a restaurant that has a very high price point. And it's not something that I take lightly at all. Um it's something that I've lost sleep over. They're just like thinking about like the guests that would love to come in and just get a couple bites and you know and and leave. Um I I I understand. And it's not something I take lightly at all. It's just that selfishly. And I know I keep saying that word. It's not for you guys. It's for my staff. It's for, for myself and my family, um, for my kitchen, help you know, my kitchen staff, their families, my front of the house, their families that they get to see each other. They get to understand how much money they're now making per week. It's way more organized. Um, we don't have, we haven't thrown anything away in over eight weeks. Everything's been cross utilized, um, whether it's for feeding our staff or feeding the dishwashers, families to take home or um, using it as pickles and using it for upcoming menus. Um, we haven't thrown anything away besides maybe like something like a potato that's kind of rotted out or that we, you know, but nothing, no proteins have been wasted in over two and a half months. Um which is not only a great teaching point for my staff and for them to, you know, you know, learn how to like utilize proteins and stuff like that. But it's also makes us feel good that we're not throwing anything away, you know, and it's like. I don't know. I, I want the guests to know that when they do see the hundred and twenty five dollars per person, I don't take that lightly, but we are ordering and get, getting the greatest ingredients that we possibly can. We are sourcing The most beautiful produce for our our menu we're we are sourcing the most beautiful proteins and we're you know we're we're calling all different purveyors to get you know different pricing and um trying to use stuff that people don't normally get at restaurants and using you know 44 farm steak out of texas which is or you know organically grown black angus and you know having them dry age it for us for 35 days so that we can use it in an upcoming menu like so we're doing our dual diligence when it comes to sourcing our our product, um, and I promise you that it shows on the plate.
0: Yes, and um, that is actually the bigger point: is that you're not guests are not losing anything with this shift. They're actually probably gaining because you can put all that much more, um, effort and love into creation, creating these meals. But, uh, we are unfortunately out of time. So, I time. so let our listeners know how to follow you, follow Hearthside, side yeah. and, and, you know, make reservations.
1: Yeah. So we're Hearthside BYOB on Instagram. Um, I'm chef Moose DP on Instagram. Um, we're on the Resi app for all reservations. We post our menus two weeks out to the day. Um, we do offer walk-ins outside as well. If the reservation is not something you can lock yourself into, if you all of a sudden have a free night and you want to come join us. Um, the outside is tasting menu, but also you have the option of ordering a la carte from our tasting menu um, outside only. Um, inside is for the tasting menus. Um But we look forward to having you guys and, you know, with the summer and Jersey produce coming. um, We're really looking forward to the menus coming up and we can't wait to feed y'all. All
0: All right. Thank you so much, Chef.
1: Thank you, Everest. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day.
0: To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during drive time radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1pm you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com or arpolicus at gmail.com Hi and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs I am here with Joey Ward who is the owner and chef of Southern Bell and Georgia Boy. And I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs.
2: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: I'm excited too. So I was actually impressed with the fact that, you know, mental mental health and and you know making sure that there's work life life balance is very is very big for you. So but And I want to put a pin in that, but just, you know, your your history as far as how you got, you know, became a chef and where, you know, what brought you to the point of owning, you know, the Southern Bell and Georgia Boy, you know, I let our listeners know how you got to to being an owner.
2: Uh, Yeah. So I was really fortunate that um, I didn't really have to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up when I was a little kid. I I kind of uh, fell in love with cooking at a super young age, uh, from watching, um, some of the early cooking shows on TV. And, um, then I, I don't know if it was, maybe I was just lazy and didn't want to try anything else, but I just kind of, <laughs> kind of stuck in, uh, stuck with that. And that really became the, the, the goal, the end goal was to be a chef of some sort. And I spent a few years trying to figure out which part of the industry I wanted to be in, be it, uh, catering or hotels or, country clubs, and then landed at Woodfire Grill uh, here in Atlanta for my first privately owned restaurant that was farm to table, fine dining, and uh, worked my way up from there and became a sous chef there and haven't looked back at any of the other options. Um, So from Woodfire, I um, worked for Kevin Gillespie um, there during his stint on Top Chef, which he became a Pretty famous from that um, and adopted his approach to food uh, and then went on to later open Gun Show, uh, his restaurant. Um, I was a head chef there for I ran that for uh, right around seven years before getting the notion to open my own place, um, which is where it brings us to uh, November of 2019 when we decided to open uh, the doors for Southern Belle and Georgia Boy and uh, begin this crazy journey that we've been on since. So,
0: I mean, obviously, like you have a long history in, in the culinary field, because I, I did read up on it and see that you did try out working at a country club, too. Um, you know, well, I shouldn't say try out. You did work at a country club. Um, so you you really have run the whole gamut of various like restaurants and, you know, and experiences as a chef um, and a line cook and whatnot. But um, how did that affect you as far as decision making, you know, with how you ran your how you're running your own uh, restaurants?
2: Uh, sure. So I think there's a lot to be gained from the various experiences that I've had throughout my career. Um, some things are, you know, processes and procedures that I wanted to um, apply to my own business and other things. You know, you you work for certain people that you learn what not to do <laughs> and, and how you, you don't want to run a kitchen. And I've, I've worked for both. I've been very fortunate to work for most people that I wanted to um imitate uh which has been good but I have worked for a couple of folks that you know I learned what not to do and that I think there's value in that as well and I apply that to the way I um, manage and operate the employees at my restaurant
0: which is nice now um as far as you know running your restaurant like I know you also co-own it with your your wife if I recall correct
2: that's correct Emily yeah <laughs> she's uh, she's awesome. She's a full time lawyer and part time restaurant uh, restaurateur as well. So,
0: and uh, I've seen some of the the photos that you guys put up of of the foods that you you create, and it looks absolutely delicious. But um, let's just jump into the menu because I know that the two concepts kind of um, they a little bit coincide, but you also re- rotate uh, staff between the two restaurants to like prevent uh burnout. I read that in one of the articles. So, um, how, how are they, how are your staff and how are you with managing the two different, um, venues?
2: Yeah. So Southern Bell is the main footprint of the, of the building. It's also like the main entrance that you come through as a guest. Uh, we have 40 seats in there and, Um, The whole ethos of both concepts is all farm to table. You know, we're working with local farms and super uh, seasonality Um, and uh, just uh, it's evolved a lot from, you know, I don't know if anyone caught that timing of opening, but it was uh, just before the pandemic. I think we were active for four solid months and then you know, everything happened uh, globally and that forced a lot of change and we evolved um, and learned, honestly, some very valuable lettuce lessons that later, um, you know, ha- had us end up where we are now and, and we're still growing and changing. But the way that the two restaurants inter- interact with each other is um, Southern Bell is uh, currently a four course tasting menu um, offering, you know, hyper seasonal cuisine. Um, and speaking to the local sort of authentic Atlanta voice that we try to to have and uh, everything from a a delta cart that roams around our dining room periodically to do a table side preparation um, to the artwork on the wall to the the vegetables and farmers that we're using so um, that is uh, you know a big part of the identity of Southern Bell um, Georgia Boy is more exclusive I would say it's a uh, speakeasy that's located inside Southern Belle, um, and it seats eight guests at a time in a communal dining experience that involves a secret door as well. So <laughs> it's kind of uh, more theater uh, is woven into that. And, and with that chef's table experience that Georgia Boy offers, it's uh, around 16 courses. So it's definitely a commitment of time and uh, senses for sure.
0: I mean, and I mean, obviously, like I've done chef tasting menus, and it it is an, a full on experience. Um, and uh, obviously, like you, you're very community involved, and in, you know Georgia involved, like where you're hyper bringing in hyper local, and um, probably CSAs or farmers, and um, I believe distilleries and whatnot too. It, you know how how do you go about choosing? The pairings that that you offer, and how often do you change your menu? Uh,
2: well, the pairings I are, have nothing to do with me, I <laughs> have to be honest. Uh, other than choosing really great people uh, to to do that for us, um, we have our uh, our wine director and sommelier Ellen, who has come on uh, just a couple of months ago and and taken over the the position of wine director, and she's doing a really great job and bringing in some fun uh, biodynamic wines um, that are engaging you know some some of the wine pairings are even um challenging guests I, I'll say like we're, we have a, a wine on the menu right now that's uh, known it's an orange wine which is it's called which is a white wine that's made in the style of a red wine so the color of the wine is actually orange there are no oranges involved as far as citrus but <laughs> the color is orange and it it's um it can be divisive but I love that I love that conversation at the table and the educational uh value that comes out of that as well for the guest. Um, to be exposed to something that they haven't seen. And as far as the menu goes and and the changing of it, it is hyper-seasonal. So we really take inspiration from what the local farms are are producing. And that can vary, um, you know, depending on weather and growing patterns. Um, our, Our growing season in Georgia is super unpredictable sometimes. Uh, You know, if you get a cold pop, you might not get peaches for another six weeks or you might have strawberries for a little longer for whatever reason. And um, it's just kind of reacting to that and using our creativity um, to uh, adapt and and evolve the menu hyper seasonally.
0: And I mean, that that's also a predominant like it, it probably on people's palates, like somebody with a distinguished palate or a foodie who has been um, in and around the scene for a while probably can pick up on the nuances and the level of caring consideration that you are bringing and offering by, by doing that because it is a particular like palette that can pull, pull the different flavors where it's hyper seasonal, like where you're getting the freshest ingredients. Like right now ramps is, uh, you know, every, everything is ramps up here. (laughs) But, you know, I I'm like, do you do you ever choose a certain ingredient to highlight?
2: Uh, Yes, that's actually really how um, I create dishes. Uh, I I start by getting excited about an ingredient and then oftentimes we'll find ourselves um, looking at how many ways we can feature that ingredient in a specific course. Um, Things like uh, our our bread service currently in in Georgia Boy is titled a, a celebration of spring Vidalia's. Um, and so it's uh, this Vidalia onion pão de queijo, which is like a Brazilian cheese bread. Okay. And we, we've uh, accompanied that with six different preparations of Vidalia onion to really everything from, you know, the peels of the onion, which we turn into an onion ash and make that into a butter. Um, so it's uh, burnt onion butter to a chimichurri uh, accompaniment that's made with the greens of the spring Vidalia's. Uh, really, kind of using every pro- every every part of the product,
0: which is wonderful. Now, I know that there are certain <laughs> there are certain palettes that love things with a lot of heat, um, and you have one item that I saw that I I might be a little bit apprehensive of trying, but if I believe it was the the something dealing with mushrooms and not hot hot something.
2: Oh, the hot and numbing. Uh, yes. <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah. So uh, that that dish that's a part of a dish. Uh, so it's hot and hot and numbing. Dry beef is a traditional Sichuan dish. Um, and we are replicating that, uh, dish uh, from one of our favorite restaurants here uh, on Beaufort highway. It's a region of Atlanta where a lot of different ethnic cuisines are located. And so you can drive down this strip of Beaufort highway and get Indian food or Venezuelan food or Mexican or uh, Sichuan Chinese in this case. Um, and so in order to highlight that region and tell the story of Atlanta, we have a dish that has three different bites, all containing mushroom uh, that are replicating dishes from various stops along Buford Highway. The dish is called a trip down Buford Highway. And uh, one of those dishes is Szechuan hot and numbing dry beef that we make with king trumpet mushrooms that we get locally cultivated, um, basically dehydrating those and uh, smoking them to imitate the flavor of the beef. And the spiciness isn't super overwhelming. Um, the One of the key components of hot numbing beef is the Szechuan peppercorn, which actually is more of a numbing sensation than, mm. than spice. Um, the hot comes from Szechuan chilies, but they're not super spicy. Uh, but it does come with a disclaimer um, that the dish may cause a, tum- a numbing or tingling sensation on the palate for a few minutes. Um, and I, I, always let everybody know that they don't need to call the paramedics that that's supposed to happen if, if they eat Szechuan peppercorn.
0: Cause I'd like just the name of it. I was like, I would be a little apprehensive of actually trying that because of the name, but then I would also be super interested because like my, you know, I like trying things that challenge me. So when, when I read the name, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> should I, would I, um, yeah, and-
2: That's one of the great things about, um, a chef's tasting menu is that it does challenge people. And, and sometimes a lot of times gets people to try things that normally they wouldn't order, uh, you know, on a traditional a la carte menu.
0: Yeah. Now I'm obviously you have, you know, the, uh, a very swanky because I saw the photos. It looks beautiful by the way, uh, the pictures of your restaurant. Um, I'm, I don't live in Georgia, so I, I don't have the privy to privilege to uh, to visit you, not immediately. But I would love to visit you at some point in time. Um, the atmosphere that you build around the this, you know, the dining experience too, also adds to you know everybody's full experience. So. Um, I'm just trying to like imagine what it would be like as a guest where I'm walking in and you have like this amazing venue and then even have that walk, walk through, like, how do you get, how do people find out about the word of like about the uh, speakeasy and about Georgia boy?
2: Yeah. So uh, Georgia boy, I I'm discovering is, is mostly coming about word of mouth. You know, uh, folks are telling people about their experience and we're getting some, we, we've been highlighted in a few um a few articles as well, you know, in publications. And um the two the the two environments, the Southern Bell aesthetic versus Georgia Boy, they're they're intentionally very different. Mm-hmm. So when you walk in Southern Bell, we're we're located in the historic plaza theater uh building in Atlanta. Uh it's almost hundred years old, and uh we have this super like art deco for, out front, it's all like uh, neon and and bright um you know flashing billboards we're we're right next to the this plaza theater which is super cool and so when you come in we're in a strip mall essentially uh, attached to the theater and uh, it's very un, uh, unassuming, the outside when you come in it's um all exposed brick the original stamped tin ceiling from um the the original build out is there that we replicated um and then the art is all um curated by myself and my wife to reflect um, Atlanta landmarks, historic figures. I think we've got John Lewis's mugshot on the wall. We've got a, we've got a, and then pop culture. Um, we've got pictures of like um, Andre 3000 and Janelle Monet and various artists that have influenced, um, you know, different culture of Atlanta. Um, and then When It has a very old world feel in there, very classic, very laid back, very comfortable. And when you go through the secret door into Georgia Boy, um, it reflects more of a minimalist sort of approach. We have white tile walls, um, black uh, ceilings, um, stone or concrete um, high top tables uh, where the food is supposed to be the main star. Of the room.
0: And I mean, if you're a foodie and you're going there to eat, that's an obvious, like a given, like. But, you know, for me, like you would also be one of the stars <laughs> because you're you're the one that curated that menu and, you know, came up with all the concepts and, and brought the, all the flavors and the ingredients together and are plating it. Um, and I, I mean, I know that you have staff, obviously, that's help, helping you line cooks and whatnot, but the beauty behind a pl- like a fully plated dish, especially for tasting menus um, and chef's tables. Like it's, it's an experience that if you haven't ever had before, it's an experience that you 100% should experience at some point. So, you know, I, I have to give you a lot of accolades for what you do.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I think one of the really cool uh, aspects about dining in Georgia boy in particular is, is the storytelling that comes with each dish. It's based on a dinner party. Like I said, it's, uh, we see tables of eight in there and, um, you know, if you and a guest came along, you may be sitting with six other strangers. And so it's about communal dining. It's about um, sort of being interactive with the chefs and the other dining companions uh, and then telling the story behind the dishes, either the inspiration or the ingredients that we're super excited about.
0: And that's that's a huge, you know, thing. I want to also mention the fact that I saw on your menu, you um, do you offer a zero proof uh, libations, we'll say. <laughs> Uh, which I, I have to say, like, that's a big trend um, these days where, you know, people are, are kind of leaning towards like, I want to go out and have fun and drink a cocktail, but I don't actually want to drink alcohol. So I, I will say on your menu, I, I noticed that there are some zero proof options, too.
2: We do. Yeah, it's actually really um, a, a big uh, project for us that we're very proud of. Um, I myself am in recovery and, and actually don't drink alcohol. Um, and it's, so it's something dear to my heart to have these options that are available and not only just available, but as much thought and care go into those creations, um, as do the regular cocktail menu and, and, and the regular food menu, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we offer a full beverage pairings of non-alcoholic items, uh, for our 16 course menu. Um, so if someone wants to come in and even if you're not you know sober, you just don't want to drink wine or whatever you can try these concepts and are the, uh, the the zero proof menu and feel the level of care and attention to detail that we put into that along with everything else
0: yeah so um and then I also want to say that you you go above and beyond with your desserts too I was looking at the desserts that you created and I was like oh those look delicious or sound delicious I should say
2: Thanks. That, that's been um, just a passion project for me. I, I just have always had a sweet tooth and had a little bit of time uh, during that time period uh, of trying to discover where I fit in the industry of being a, a pastry chef for a while. Um, and I really loved the artistry and creativity that you can apply to you know, the end of a meal with pastry. And so it's something that I really have a lot of fun working with. Um, I am not great, great at it. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a pastry chef these days, but, uh, I do enjoy that aspect of it. You know, a lot of savory chefs don't kind of translate their craft to that portion of the menu. And I really have fun doing that. And I like eating them. I, I'm really actually glad that I don't, uh, I, I don't work with pastry all the time because. I would just be eating sweets like 24 7 I think
0: <laughs> I would too and funny enough um I I hate having to end this because I'm having fun and enjoying our, our conversation but unfortunately I do have to let you go so let our listeners know where they can find you online and in person
2: absolutely so we're at southernbellatl.com if you want to check us out uh, there's a link to Georgia boy in there too if you're looking to do the more uh, grand tasting menu. Um, we can make reservations on Resy, uh, as well as check us out at, on Facebook and Instagram.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Joey, for, uh, Chef, <laughs> Chef oh. Ward for, uh, joining us on Food Farms and Chefs.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Joey's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And we will be right back after this short break. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollack. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. And I have the honor to introduce you to Steve Chu, who is one of the co-founders of Ekaben which is located in Maryland. Steve, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs.
3: A uh, total pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> so you actually have two locations now, but um, you have an, a very interesting backstory. When I was researching, researching your uh, history, you grew up in the restaurant business, but quite literally grew up in the restaurant business. What was that like growing up in inside, you know, your father's restaurant?
3: Yeah. Um, so we have three restaurants. We have like food truck, we have we do like 280 events a year. So we're we're hustling nonstop. Yeah, like growing up in like the family business, we just understood, you know, the hustle was real and granted I hated being in the restaurant, but I think being around my relatives who are all also in the restaurant industry um like hearing about like their daily lives and like how much they actually work and you know all the things that they complain about um i think that really made my career a lot easier because a lot of times when you talk to restaurateurs and they're like oh my god it's like this huge problem like it's not a huge problem like these problems have always existed since restaurants have been around so um it was it was a really good experience growing up in in the business and it, it's definitely helped a lot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know that you you co-founded it with uh, your your friends, two of your friends actually. If, uh, and correct me if I mispronounce their names, but Ephraim Abebe, is that correct on how you pronounce Ephraim,
3: it? Ephraim Abebe.
0: Ab- Abebe.
3: Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um,
3: I, I I have had like three Ethiopian roommates and. All their last names have been Abebe, and it's always the same question: like, is it a BB? Like, no, it's Abebe. And I'm like, <laughs> my third roommate, I'm like, it's a Abebe, right? And he's like,
0: yeah. So. Um, but you know, with with him and with Nick, uh, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his last name. Um, you had founded it initially, um, with an, with a food cart, well, actually, a little food cart, a hot dog cart, correct?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, we've always had this dream of like working together and yeah, they might be my friends, but they're actually like some of the most honest and like, hardest working people that I know. Um, so it just turns out that like we were just really, really awesome friends. And um, as you know, like the restaurant industry, all you need is like a little bit of hustle and you can make it pretty far. I mean, you don't even have to speak any English. So, you know, both of all three of us speaking really great English to being college educated. Um, you I know, mean, we we're just like, hey, like nothing can really stop us, and we could, we can do really, really well in this, uh, in this business. And, um, I mean, yeah, we, we started off with a hot dog cart. Uh, we had a dream to have a food truck, but you know, right out of college, food truck was like 80K, and none of us had 80K. <laughs> I think like the three of us in total had like, Two dollars and like spare like pant buttons. Right? like we didn't have any money, um, so we had to kind of retool our dream and the hot dog cart fit within our budget.
0: And it's very portable too, so you can kind of bring it everywhere, which is what you started out with, at, really, because you started in uh in Fells Fells Marketplace.
3: Yeah, yeah, we start off at the uh, Fells Point Farmers Market. We wanted to, like, we yeah, we wanted to, like, push the hot dog cart around and, like, serve our steamed bun sandwiches out of there. The health department was like, yeah, you could do that. But, like, all someone has to do is come out of their house and be like, get the hell off of our block. And then we would have to get off of the block. Uh, So they are like, a better option is to find somewhere more permanent. So we'd start off at the farmer's markets. Uh, That was, like, something a lot more permanent. And actually, it was a lot harder than it sounds. Like... We signed up to maybe 12 farmer's markets and only one of them like gave us the time of day to even like consider having us enter it. And I got really lucky, Merit Dworkin, who is the, and still is the the market manager, uh, she, she gave us a chance. It's like these three, like 22 year olds fresh out of college. And she was like,
0: yeah, yeah, why not? (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, like, how was your the reception when you first started there? Because I feel like back in the day, you know, it was the food scene was only just beginning to like open up to different um, cultures, we'll say, of a cuisines, and you know. So I'm, I, am i am just wondering, like, how, how, what the reception was, and how word of mouth, you know, spread.
3: Yeah, so we did the hot dog cart for about two years, uh, or at least two seasons. And the first season, we started off like halfway because, you know, we didn't know anything. We didn't know when it started. We were like, oh, it should be really easy to enter. And so we only got like a few months out of the first year. And it was really, really like hard. Um, There's like two sides to the farmer's market. There's like like in the main square, that's where like all the locals go. And then we got placed in like No Man's Land, which on paper sounded perfect because No Man's Land there were like twenty thousand tourists out would pass by our like hot dog cart every day. Hmm. But everyone wanted crab cakes, and I was like, "Bro, it's one hundred and two degrees outside. I'm not serving you crab cakes." But we have these steamed sandwiches and these like meatballs if you want. And they're like, "No, we only want crab cakes." I was like, "Okay." so what we ended up doing was we just took all this food that we we're gonna throw away anyways and we just gave off free samples kind of like the the bourbon chicken ladies at the mall mm. we're like oh free samples free samples and and we we got very annoying and we just like kept on giving people samples they said no we still gave them one if they took one we gave them another one and another one um we were very very generous with our samples and by the second year um i yeah everyone came out like just lines and lines and lines and lines and lines it was it was really incredible
0: now i know um cuz i love all different types of cuisines one of my favorite things is bao buns um and the the light airy fluffy like but it's huge the buns that that are made for bao buns are you know i love biting into them um what the like <sighs> Did, did people start becoming addicted to them like I am?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was kind of surprising. I mean, to this day, people still come in and, like, argue with us. Like, this bread is raw. Why don't you cook the bread? I'm like, no, like, you know, you can steam your bread and it'll come out, like, white. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're lying to me. They'll give us a side eye. And I'm like, dude, I just give your money back. <laughs> but luckily, most people weren't that uh, hesitant to try our food. Um are like ooh like something new and once they had their first bite they were they were they were hooked.
0: Yeah. Now years later like you you now have more than one location obviously but you also have a lot of accolades because you have been highlighted in various magazines, periodicals on TV. Um some of which is you you gained a little bit of notoriety cuz you did travel very far distance um to do an an amazing thing, which I feel like people focus a little bit too hard on that and less on like the fact that it was from probably coming from like just the the nearness of you being community centered but also, you know, being being supportive in in the situation in the reason that you went all the way to Vermont, but you know that I know you you did gain a lot of uh, exposure for that. Um, how how have you seen an like have you seen an increase um, in foot traffic as a result?
3: I mean, we we just thought it was like a you know like like a big honor. Well, what that request was, so it was really no brainer to go up there.
0: Yeah. And and I have to say like to be supportive of of somebody who's going through something like that is like a huge deal and um the fact that you were able to like bring fresh ingredients like obviously you know giving nutrients and something that you know brought joy to her her life you know um it meant something I'm sure but like how how else do you give back to communi- to your community
3: So you know Baltimore is really helped us achieve like all of our hopes and dreams. I mean, in the beginning, all we've wanted was like an award winning restaurant. And now we have like three award winning restaurants and a hundred employees. Um, and so, you know, we don't really think of it as giving back, but more of like, you know, it's kind of like our duty to, to take care of those who have taken care of us. Um, so, like, really any anything that that, that the city needs. Uh, we do try to be a champion for our city. It is a phenomenal place. I mean, everyone thinks Baltimore, they just think crab cakes. But we also have, like, a phenomenal food scene. And the sunset by the waterfront is probably the best in the world. And the people are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it's really, really a great city. Um, there was, like, this national editorial that asked me to write, like, a, like a gift guide for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And... Uh, they're like, oh, make sure you can, like, be able to, like, mail it. You know, like, these gifts that you're, 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 you're picking out. Like, make sure you can get them, like, anywhere in the country. And I was like, damn, that that sucks because there's so many local artisans here that actually can't ship. You know, we have, like, some of the best beer in the country. Uh, we make some of the best sours here, like, right out of Suspended Brewing in Pigtown, like, that place is phenomenal, but, you know, they don't ship. Um, but you really got to come to the city to, to check out, like, all – of its beauty and splendor and delicious (laughs) treats
0: exactly um now you said award-winning i know that you were nominated for a james beard award is is that something that we can talk about or yeah
3: i mean it was cool we were um it was was so funny like i went to go tell the team like we know we're like really community oriented and and we're all about just making sure our neighbors have like a really phenomenal meal like the tourists.com like anyone that steps in through our door you know we want to make sure they have a great time and and for us like people leaving happier than when they came in that's enough like reward for us and then when we got the the nomination i was like oh guys we're gonna nominate for a james beard award and the team literally looks at me and they're like, who's James Beard? <laughs> I'm like, All right, cool. Well, uh, we also got Yelp's top 100 in the country. And they're like, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they didn't know what, what uh, the, the Oscar level of uh, award winning for restaurants was.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, hats off to the team, you know, it just. They love what they do, so it's, it's it's cool. You know, we don't we don't do it for the accolades or the rewards. We we do it for our team. But honestly, the accolades are are always really really nice to have.
0: Yes. So speaking of accolades, uh, why don't you give your food some love? What what are some of your favorite dishes, or what are some of the more popular dishes that you make?
3: Oh man, everything on the menu is super popular. Uh, it's like a really small, concise menu. Um, You know, we only try to put out bangers. Like, it's got to be a 10 out of 10. If it's anything less than 10 out of 10, it just doesn't make it on the menu. Um, Mm. But it's pretty, like, international, like, Asian fusion. Um, You know, there's some, like, Ethiopian inspiration there, some Indian, uh, some Latin. Mm. So it's, like, a really good, like, mishmash of everything. Like, just come check it out. I'm sure you'll like everything you have.
0: I'm sure I would. I believe, didn't you have something that has cur- like some curry in it? Like, because I love anything with curry in it. And I th- I'm pretty sure I read that you you made some sort of uh, a sandwich with curry in it.
3: Yeah. So uh, our most popular dish is called the Neighborhood Bird. It's like a Taiwanese curry fried chicken. And um, we top it off with Chinese quick pickled cucumbers, little sambal mayo, and like a big old helping of fresh herbs. Um, that is, like, hands-on the most popular thing. Like, it's it's kind of ridiculous how, how much we go through.
0: <laughs> so what what other, like, options? I mean, I'm sure you probably have vegetarian options too.
3: Yeah, um, our tempura broccoli is super popular. Uh, we have, like, our tofu was surprisingly sleeper hit. Like, we go through so much tofu that our vendors are, like, who are you? Why do you like are you giving this away for free? <laughs> um but it's like a crispy tofu and like a spicy <laughs> peanut sauce with fresh herbs or garlic and sprinkle some like fresh onion in there. Um yeah, it's it's super good. Everything at Aki Ben is like a party in your mouth, so just try everything. Yeah, bring lots I, of friends.
0: Obviously. And like obviously, you know, and okay, to throw throw in there for the tofu cuz I know that tofu like kind of takes on whatever flavor you, you, uh, marinate it in. So it's one of those tricky things where it's like, for me, I, when I cook with tofu, I have to get like extra firm tofu so that I can like, so that it stays together. Cause it is a little too pliable sometimes, but, um, but the fact that you're returning, turning a uh, uh, tofu into something that, you know, people can kind of get nice big bites of, um, and, and delicious, flavorful bites at that. Like, I have to give you props for that.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like, when people come in for the first time and try the tofu, they're like, yeah, man, I was all about, like, no food, you know? Like, no, none. <laughs> like, don't touch it. And then, you know, they had a bite of ours. They're like, oh, this, I don't know. It tastes like this. I'm like, uh, yeah, man, you just, you don't know how to cook it. <laughs> we do, so... <laughs>
0: And I'm just curious, do you have uh, anything that's got gojing gojin on it? Like a gojing th- sauce?
3: Oh, like like gochujang?
0: Yeah. I, I knew I was going to mispronounce it. I like to mispronounce uh, like, things.
3: <laughs> like, um, you talking about like the Korean chili paste?
0: Yeah, like, because I know that you you kind of bring in a whole bunch of different um, cuisines, like selection from from Asian, a- Asian uh, cuisines.
3: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sometimes we'll use gochujang. Actually, one of our first dishes at the hot dog cart was um, like tofu with like a gochujang sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, before we pivoted over to the, the peanut sauce, like gochujang was the was the guy. But then we ended up just selling so much of this peanut sauce. It was like, oh, well, all right, I'm just not going to sell this gochujang anymore.
0: <laughs> and uh, people with sweet tooths, what can they get from you?
3: Actually, it's, it's funny. We're like really like focused on what we do. So... We actually don't sell any dessert, but we do make a lot of, like, house, like, in-house beverages. Mm -hmm. We'll do, we'll make, like, a yuzuade, which is a Japanese citrus fruit and returns like, lemonade. We also add some mint syrup to it and green tea. Um, We also have Thai tea, which is, you know, classic, sweetened with condensed milk. And then we also have this really awesome lychee black tea brewed from our friends at Suspended Brewing. Oh, nice. Um, That's really refreshing, too. But, yeah, we don't really, like, have a lot of, like, We actually don't have any desserts. We literally just have
0: yeah. But you, if you add in yeah, sorry, if you add in like anything that's got sweet and condensed milk into it, like your Thai tea, like the like that's your that's gonna give you that sweet that sweet um that sweet drive that you know I have. (laughs) So oh yeah,
3: yeah, uh, totally. Like yeah, that that thing is super decadent. Um, and, it, and it's perfect. You know, like you're having a long day. You want you want to kick back, have something like nice and sweet, nice and decadent and also still refreshing. Like it's perfect.
0: Yeah. And especially, you know, it complements the food that you offer, too, because it's, you know, a nice balance between the savory and and the sweetness. Like it kind of ends it well.
3: Correct. Yeah, it all balances out really, really well. Yeah, we just we're really lucky. People people love what we put out, so which super is, super happy.
0: Yeah, which is perfect. So, um, where can people find you online and find you in person?
3: Yeah, you they could um, follow us on Instagram at ekiben Baltimore. We're actually just like a meme page, uh, so but I mean that's what the kids like nowadays. And we also have a TikTok. Same thing at Ekipen Baltimore. Um, my personal one's Stevie Chu. Yeah, just give us a follow. Uh, we're in Baltimore. We have three locations. So whenever you're in town, just Google Ekiban and go to the nearest one.
0: That's perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. And for anybody tuning in, you can listen at any time and visit Ekiban and Steve Chu in Maryland.